Welcome to another episode of Geospatial Gurus, your podcast to know the who, the where, the why, the what, the when, and the how of geospatial and location. Wow, that's a mouthful, but we promise to keep it simple and fun. This podcast brings you the thought leaders and the upcoming talent in geospatial industry in a speakeasy format with simple, basic questions and a whole lot of fun answers. And we have with us today, Ms. Ananya Narayan, who is an upcoming professional in the AC sector. She's a published author, a life coach, and a 40 under 40 titleist. She says she's a researcher by fluke, but her work speaks for itself. And that spans continents, publications, forums, as well as conferences. Join me in welcoming Ananya to Geospatial Gurus. Welcome, Ananya. Thank you, Girish. How are you? I'm good. Thank you. Thank you. I'm doing great myself. Thank you for joining us at a short notice, as well as agreeing to this fun format of Speakeasy Geospatial Gurus. Uh, Ananya, I hope I did justice to your introduction, but since our audience spans the globe, as well as upcoming professionals, as well as leaders, um, why don't you um, why don't you share something about yourself with us? Maybe we start with uh, what you and I discussed earlier. Um, you are you are not a geospatial professional by education. You are an economist, right? Absolutely, absolutely. I think geospatial happened to me by fluke. I honestly did not know the meaning of ge geospatial until I think five years ago. Wow. My master's, my graduation is in economics. I am otherwise a master's in international business and finance from London. Uh, so geospatial, it was, it was just an accident and a lovely accident to begin with. Wow, amazing. I would love to hear more. How did that become as an accident? And yet here we are with you, um, not just being a published author. I believe you've written a romantic novel as well as you are the author of the industry-leading AC report. Yeah, two right? diverse things, right? There you go. Yes, absolutely. It's amazing. Um, it's amazing how you call it a sweet accident, and yet you have disparate published titles under your belt. Uh, one in your personal capacity as an author, the other one in the professional capacity as a geospatial person. Why don't you shed some light on that? Absolutely. I think I think both my personal and professional lives are very different. Um, my the, my personal experience as an author is uh, is more to do with the person that I am, uh, the person uh, that uh, that I have grown up to be, and professionally, like I said, geospatial is was an accident. Now it's become a course of life. So uh, whatever you see in the industry reports, be it the GeoBIM readiness index or the country's geospatial readiness index or the or the uh, GeoBiz report that we come out with. Uh, it, it, it's something that I have learned to develop uh, over a period of time. And uh, it's what my interest is professionally. Ananya, you, uh, you brought up the GeoBIM Readiness Index with our audience. Uh, would our audience be familiar with it? Why don't you share with us, what is this GeoBIM Readiness Index? Actually, I think uh, that's, a, that's a good question, Girish, because I think the GeoBIM Readiness Index or the country's Geospatial Readiness Index is what attracts me to doing research. The GeoBIM Readiness Index per se is uh, basically uh, an, an index, a, blue, a blueprint for AEC stakeholders to um, assess where do they rank, what is their preparedness in terms of adopting uh, integrated geospatial and building information 
modeling, which is BIM technologies and their construction workflows. Coming from an economics background, I do understand that infrastructure is a very important part of the economy. So uh, for countries to understand uh, how technology is important, uh, how digitalization in the AC industry is important if they want to further their goals of uh, economic sustainability as well as ensure that uh, they are at par with the world leaders. The GeoBIM Readiness Index is one thing that they can refer to. It, it is part of uh, the, GeoBIM, the GeoBIM Market uh, Report that uh, my organization, Geospatial Media, comes out with. And I think it's a very good reference tool to begin with uh, for uh, policymakers, for uh, AEC stakeholders, as well as for the technology providers. So we heard the what about GeoBIM Readiness Index. And thank you for that uh, simple yet elaborate answer, Ananya. We promised our audience the who, the where, the why, what, when, and how. My next question is going to be about who. Would you like to field uh, the answer to a personal question that starts with who or a professional one? I don't mind a personal one. Go ahead. Uh, you mentioned you had a fangirl moment in the geospatial industry. So who's your hero in the geospatial industry? Yeah, I actually have two uh, to share with. One, one is Barbara Ryan. She is the ex-geo secretariat and another one is uh, Jack Dangerman, who I had the pleasure of meeting in uh, at uh, ESRI's headquarters in January. So uh, both of them actually, uh, Barbara from the point of view of the kind of work that she's done in the field of Earth observation and the kind of person that she is. I've had the opportunity to work with her and she she motivates me to do better. She is a very good uh, policy expert something that I'm interested in. And Jack, uh, I think with the for the vision that he has, and the day I met him, I think that that is the fangirl moment for me. Did you did you like jump up and down and scream and take a selfie? Was it that kind of a fangirl moment or you were speechless and just your jaw dropped? Well, it was a jaw drop moment every time I've met him. But uh, I think it, it, would be, it would be good to say that uh, Jack, the, the humble person that he is, uh, I still remember... Uh, taking the photograph with him. And since I'm too short in height and he's too tall, he he knelt down to take a photograph with me. I'd love to see that picture someday, as I'm sure a lot of our audience would. But um, yeah. that is just amazing. That's a wonderful story. And that truly is a fangirl moment. I agree with you. Well, I would still love to ask you the who question uh, in the professional realm, if you allow me to. Yeah. So we were talking about the GeoBIM Readiness Index, and, and I can see that it's that, that particular measure or that metric uh, spans both the end users, the industry, as well as governments and policymakers. The whole of the AC community per se, right from the technology providers to the value, uh, to the construction supply chain, to the uh, decision makers, everybody who is involved in the construction process and the construction workflow needs to read the GeoBIM Readiness Index. And I say that because the GeoBIM Readiness Index is based on a GeoBIM maturity model. The maturity model, which is the which, is, which has been developed for the first time, I mean, we do have a BIM maturity model, but this is the first time we've developed a GeoBIM maturity model, which talks about the different levels at uh, which integration of geospatial and BIM takes place, which which I think is important, right? Cutting a cu cuts across planning and surveying, uh, the uh, designing part, the construction, the operations and maintenance works workflow. So anybody and everybody who is involved 
in uh, the whole construction workflow needs to read the report, needs to understand what the maturity model is, needs to understand what the readiness index is, because that is what will help them uh, go from a probably an immature state to a sophisticated level. And with how, how the technology is evolving day by day, not just geospatial and BIM, but the impact of four IR technologies or the immersive solutions that is happening, it is but very important that all AEC stakeholders uh, take note of the maturity model as well as the readiness index. Do you think the efficiencies they will gain today uh, will help them better cope with the impact COVID-19 has had on the industry? Absolutely. Uh, this is one of the things that we uh, did uh, as, as a researcher. Uh, I'm proud to say we uh, hardly find any research reports uh, which kind of uh, do an analysis of the return on investment that's uh, generated by the adoption of uh, geospatial and BIM technologies together. Uh, we were uh, we did one of those analysis based on the maturity model, and we did find that you know if you adopt both the technologies and if you adopt the if you look at the maturity model and where you stand, your uh, cost efficiency as well as time efficiency and productivity improves by a huge margin. So uh, definitely. Excellent. I also know uh, from talking to you earlier, you spent some time in Europe, and um, you've done some you've done some work with international governments um, out in uh, the Netherlands. So, uh, Girish, uh, uh, stepping out from AEC because AEC is a, actually AEC is a very recent vertical for me. In the projects that I did in Europe was for the European Commission, and uh, they were actually uh, uh, studies related to artificial intelligence as well as alignment of policies on Earth observation. And I do feel that uh, you know the European model when it comes to uh, policy and decision making is completely different from what the rest of the world follows. So. Uh, the alignment of policies at each country level by the uh, as defined by the european uh, commission is almost similar so that kind of ensures that uh, that kind kind of ensures that every country is at par whereas uh, in developing country whereas in developing countries or as a global platform i think uh, countries need to look at the european model they need to adopt from the policies that are defined uh, in europe it'd be great to see some uh comparison or a chart between policies in different continents, maybe alongside the index that you talk about, the GeoBIM readiness index you talk about, maybe that's something other countries can learn. What are the gaps and where they can make improvements? Yeah. So from a GeoBIM readiness index point of view, if I have to talk about policies, uh, Europe is one of the leading, uh, Europe and for that matter, UK is one of the leading countries in terms of uh, having policy frameworks for uh, the adoption of BIM, for the implementation of BIM in public infrastructure projects, be it Spain, be it UK, be it Sweden, they have a BIM execution plan and most uh, be it Germany. Uh, these countries, what they do is apart from even, apart from just having a BIM uh, policy, they also have a geospatial component added to it, which kind of strengthens the need for having geo-BIM. Whereas rest of the countries, for example, if I have to look at Asia-Pacific and if I just look at the country that I am in, India, India does not have a BIM policy yet. India does not have a BIM execution plan yet. Of course, uh, our government think tank has kind of mandated uh, the use of BIM uh, in a couple of uh, road and railway infrastructure projects, but it's still not being widely adopted. And if we learn something, if we take notes from uh, what the European countries are doing for that matter, I think there is... Uh, there is a great possibility that, you know, the developing countries can also enhance their adoption of GeoBIM technologies per se. The infrastructure in the U.S. is crumbling. It was built 
probably about 60, 70 years ago. Do you think they have integrated geospatial and BIM at the policy level, not industry or end user, but just at the, the government and policy level? Actually, you will be surprised. US was the first country to have a policy on BIM. They uh, came out with a national 2D and 3D program, 3D and 4D BIM program in 2003, uh, which also had uh, which also had an inclusion of spatial program and 3D laser scanning. And this was in 2003. UK and be it any of the European countries, they came out with it much later. They adopted their policy framework from the US. However, when it comes to implementation, the European countries picked it up much faster than the U.S. Ananya, thank you for being so candid with our uh, audience. Would you like to share with us, how did you become a researcher? I think I have been a research person at heart uh, when I started doing my bachelor's in economics, actually, because uh, research is part of everything that you do, right? So economics, be it my uh, international business and finance degree from uh, London, uh, everything uh, had a research component to it. So research was always a part that I really enjoyed. So Ananya, you're an economist and you studied at the London School of Economics. Uh, let me ask you, uh, what shape of the recovery curve do you predict uh, with uh, what's happening in the world? That, that's a very interesting uh, question, Girish, because um, I guess with the COVID situation, with the COVID outbreak, we are all trying to figure out where, how the economy is going to recover. But um, I feel that we really need to rethink economics the way we currently define it. I think this, uh, this situation has given us an opportunity to rethink uh, and come up with a new, a new model. So if I may, instead of prioritizing metrics like gdp the aim right now should be to uh, kind of you know look at enlarging people's capability the societal capabilities in terms of uh, health in terms of creativity in terms of nutrition uh, education that sort of a thing would you uh, why don't you explain a little bit more so basically the concept that i'm referring to uh, has been developed in 2017 and it's called uh, it's developed by k travert and the concept is called donut economics so the donut model is basically a model of social and planetary boundaries uh, by planetary i mean this uh, the uh, aspects of climate change, biodiversity loss, and those sort of things, and uh, which I, underpins the growth of an economy, but sustainably. So instead of looking at uh, metrics like GDP, wherein you're basically taking the production, distribution, and consumption value chain, we're looking at a more sustainable model of economics, wherein uh, the social foundation demarks the inner boundary and sets the basis of life, which, which can include your healthcare, which is very important in today's scenario, your education, gender equality, political voice, political voice, food, um, energy, those sort of things. And then you have an ecological ceiling, uh, which like I mentioned is climate change, uh, uh, biodiversity loss, uh, where, wherein uh, which we all know is important in today's scenario. And of course, if I need to bring in the geospatial aspect to it today, geospatial data visualization per se is uh, very important in the development of both social foundation as well as the eco ecological foundation. So in terms of geospatial, the industry is in the, the potential of industry in a donut economic scenario is uh, just going to grow. The recovery of the geospatial industry ecosystem, if I may say, is 
can be much more exponential than any other uh, industry sector and uh, what i feel is in this new century or the new normal as we are calling it uh, i would certainly suggest that everyone needs to read on the donut economic models and needs to uh, needs to kind of you know focus more on a sustainable economic approach anane that's very interesting uh, and thought provoking how does this donut economic model affect a common man i understand it from the perspective of industry and governments but how how why should this be important to a common man so girish the reason it has to be important to a common man is again taking the example of covid-19 outbreak if the health infrastructure in every country would have been at par uh, we wouldn't have been uh, we kind of wouldn't have been scrambling around uh, worrying about the uh, the kind of health facilities that we have in a country right so if uh, if we apply and if we focus on the social foundation of the donut economic model which uh, focuses on health infrastructure and we kind of uh, uh, make due investments keeping in mind the kind of situations that arise in a country i don't think we would have uh, we could have actually uh, done very well with the pandemic we would not have had to worry about it and this also means that we would not have at the social foundation a common man in this case would have access to water would have access to food would have access to good healthcare systems would have access to would have the uh, ability and the uh, possibility of making sure their voices are heard so it's it's a broader and a larger ecosystem which which has both macro which is uh, government and uh, policy makers which has implications for both uh, government and policy makers and then to every individual level it can be implemented and it is beneficial so what you're sharing with us is that uh, the global measures that we measure our economy where the, the the metrics are more centered around production and then bringing those goods uh, via logistics to various parts where that uh, produced good or services needed and the consumption of those and it does not focus on the holistic aspect of the basic needs and requirements uh, keeping them sustainable as well as ensuring the growth is in the right areas uh, for the betterment of not just the economy but also the society yeah and what i'm also saying is it's not like we need to disregard the gdp concept but we also need to understand gdp ha- gdp does bring with it a uh, disparity in terms of wealth alloc- allocation and even though we have been focusing over the years on gdp we still have issues like climate change and biodiversity loss to deal with every single day these are the issues that have been addressed time and again in different international forums and if if we focus on something like donut economics it makes it it obviously takes into account gdp but it's that that is not your economic measure that is not the only economic measure that you would consider uh, take into account for a country's uh, progressive growth so uh, donut economics takes into the takes into account the holistic growth of a country if i may say instead of just taking into account the production consumption and distribution matrix that we generally uh, think of economics to be this is definitely a great concept that we should discuss further and uh, i promise to have you back on our podcast possibly with someone uh, that is from uh, uh, either policy making and or um, from uh, healthcare so we can have a deeper discussion absolutely ananya thank you for taking time and we would love to have you again in the hot seat in the near future whenever your time permits thank you girish thank you for having me